Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, No Rain Date listeners. This is Josh Popachak, your host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with our news roundup for the week ending October 29th, 2021. It's been a very busy week in the Saucon Valley area, as is typical for this time of year. October is one of the busiest times for news in our local area, and that has a lot to do with high school football, Halloween events like trick-or-treat and the big parades and of course elections and 2021 is a local election year it being an odd-numbered year and we have a number of highly competitive races in the area and so particularly this year it's been quite a busy time. And we, of course, at Sock and Source, are committed to providing our readers with the most accurate information about the candidates as we can, so that you, our readers and listeners, are informed when you go to the polls or when you vote by mail. Of course, many people who vote by mail have already mailed in their ballots, hopefully. In the past week, we have published two election guides which are essentially question and answer surveys that we conducted with the candidates for Hellertown Borough Council and Lower Saucon Township Council. Both of these council races are competitive, meaning there are more candidates than there are open seats. So there are going to be winners and losers in these races. I'm happy to say that the vast majority of candidates responded to our questions and did so thoughtfully with very complete answers in many cases. I did not ask them to stick to a word limit. I I think traditionally many newspapers have done that, certainly because when we're talking about print newspapers, space is at a premium. It's not really the same paradigm on the internet, of course. So we, within reason, told candidates to express themselves freely, and they did. Between the two races, there was only one candidate who did not respond to our questions. So I would encourage you, if you will be voting in person on Election Day, November 2nd, to check out the answers. If you live in the borough of Hellertown, obviously that's the guide for you. And if you live in Lower Saucon, your candidates for township council all responded to our questions and you will need a little bit of time to thoroughly read through the answers but i don't think that will be time wasted certainly you maybe uh, will have other questions but in many cases the candidates have websites and or facebook pages and in lieu of that or in addition to that many of them also shared email addresses so that Our readers can email them directly before the election and hopefully get questions about other issues answered. I would certainly encourage you to do that. Transparency is the name of the game, and we're doing our best to cover this election as completely as possible in a way that is objective and that will help you ultimately 
pick the people who will be making the decisions that affect your life. And I really do hope that turnout for the upcoming election is higher than it typically is for a local election. The national elections are the ones that get sort of all the uh, publicity and they're the sexy elections because you know everybody's talking about them and you know you're seeing tons of ads for them on TV. In reality local elections tend to matter more because they're more likely to affect your finances and your quality of life because township council members decide things like tax rates and they oversee the park systems, they vote in favor of or against proposed developments, which impact traffic and countless other issues. So even though they're not quote-unquote sexy, I really think they're important. And uh, of course, the Saucon Valley School Board and Southern Lehigh School Board races are also competitive. We did cover the Saucon Valley School Board Forum that was held a couple of weeks ago. And there is video of that on YouTube that you can also watch. Southern Lehigh School Board, sort of with limited resources and a large number of candidates in that race, we were not able to produce a guide or a Q&A for it. However, we did cover some of the candidates earlier in the year, and you can still find that content at SaucinSource.com. And of course, many of those candidates have their own resources available online. You can also check with the League of Women Voters for the Lehigh Valley. I know that they have reached out to the candidates in most, if not all, of the local races. And in many cases, uh, they have responses from them on their website. As I mentioned, it is Halloween weekend. Halloween is on Sunday this year, and there will be a lot of Halloween parties, parades, and other events happening. Of course, this is also trick-or-treat weekend. Hellertown and Lower Saucon Township's trick-or-treat is being held on Sunday, October 31st from 6 to 8 p.m., That was decided many months ago. Typically, Borough Council in Hellertown decides the date for trick-or-treat in the spring. So it was pretty much set in stone back in March or April, and Lower Saucon follows suit historically. They schedule theirs at the same time as Hellertown. Many of the other municipalities in our area, including Fountain Hill, Coopersburg Borough, Upper Saucon Township, the City of Bethlehem, and so on, They have historically held trick-or-treat on the Friday night before Halloween, which this year was Friday, October 29th. Trick-or-treat in all those places was scheduled to be held from 6 to 8 p.m., but Mother Nature decided to throw a monkey wrench into those plans and brought us a nor'easter with wind and rain, and uh, that obviously isn't ideal for little kids walking around in the dark with costumes on, um, carrying heavy bags of candy. The uh, overarching concern and the reason why most, if not all, of those municipalities postponed their trick-or-treats to Sunday was safety. I think if it had just been, you know, a forecast for drizzle or maybe some light rain, they would have still had trick-or-treat on Friday evening. But with the wind whipping up to 30 miles an hour or more, It really, I think, was a sound decision to postpone it, you know, safety first. And hopefully uh, the weather on Sunday will be great and we'll have lots of trick-or-treaters. I know I'm looking forward to welcoming them at my house and seeing the the costumes. Every 
every year that's fun to see like what the hot costumes are and just to see everybody happy and smiling which we don't see enough of in business news holly hoyt this week wrote a story about a new dining option in the saucon valley lehigh valley barbecue has opened inside dewey fire company in hellertown they previously operated elsewhere in the lehigh valley as of October 1st, they moved into Dewey. They are known for their Texas-inspired smoked meats, including brisket. They also are known for their wings and, of course, their sides. Got to have sides to go with the barbecue. And so they're winning rave reviews so far. You'll learn more about them in Holly's story on SockandSource.com. I should stress that they are open to the public. They have somewhat limited hours so far, but I think uh, as time goes by, they will uh, expand. And they also have weekly specials. I noticed on their website that they have like a happy hour. They do have drink specials along with the food. So you'll definitely want to check out their full menu. I know they have an Instagram page, so you might want to follow them over there. In other news, Lower Saucon Township officials announced this week that the Saucon Rail Trail will be undergoing some TLC. The section of the trail that is located in the township, which is approximately 1.4 miles in length, will be closed for some maintenance beginning November 8th. The maintenance of the trail is expected to take about a week. And the main reason they want to keep people off the trail is to avoid any damage to it while this is taking place. So it's not going to be a a real long closure, but it is a very popular trail. People love the Reading Drive Trailhead, which is in Lower Saucon. And it's a convenient place to park and walk either north into Hellertown or south into Upper Saucon and Coopersburg. And of course, this is a time of year when the weather is typically very nice. It's still relatively mild and you have the beautiful leaves to look at. So I would encourage any of you who use the trail or know somebody who does to maybe share the story. That way we can avoid uh, anybody being frustrated by heading out to walk or jog and not being able to. Of course, I should stress that the Hellertown portion of the trail will be open and so will Upper Saucon's uh, portion of the Saucon Rail Trail and further south. The Saucon Rail Trail, of course, goes through Coopersburg and at the Lehigh County, Bucks County line, it connects with the Upper Bucks Rail Trail, which we were getting ready to open almost a year ago. That opened in November 2020 and has been a very popular extension or addition, however you want to phrase it. The Upper Bucks Rail Trail extends through Springfield Township into Richland Township where it ends at Veterans Park near Quakertown Borough and eventually the plan is to have the trail go right into the borough of Quakertown where it will connect with other trails and from there you'll be able to go further south or I believe east out of the borough. So We're definitely developing a trail network in the Saucon Valley and beyond, and that's really exciting. Every year it grows. If you missed them, I would encourage you to check out our Halloween parade coverage. We have 
close to 200 fantastic photos by Chris Christian of the Saucon Valley Spirit Parade, which was held on Sunday, October 24th. There was a great turnout for this year's parade, which was the first one held in three years. Of course, in 2019, the parade was canceled due to heavy rain, and there's no rain date for the parade. And we explained that in our previous roundup. And in 2020, COVID-19 was responsible for the parade's cancellation. This year, no such issues, and the parade went off without a hitch. Thank you to all the volunteers and sponsors and donors who made it possible. Certainly, it brought a lot of smiles to people of all ages who turned out in costume in many cases to enjoy it, and the weather was pretty good overall. It, It stayed dry. That's the main thing. Uh, We also have the names of the winners in the various categories that were judged during this year's parade in our story. And congratulations to all those winners. A lot of work goes into it when you're marching in a Halloween parade, whether you're coordinating clothing, costumes, or actually constructing a float. I tip my hat to those people when you're running a business and you decide to do that on top of it. It's a major time commitment, but it really is for the fun, for the community, and we appreciate it. And also, shout out to the Hellertown Lower Saucon Chamber for hosting a very fun event this past week at Lost River Caverns, Hellertown's most famous attraction. This was the Lost uh, Spirits tour at the cave, and it was an opportunity to observe some paranormal investigators who were actually set up in the cave and speaking to purported spirits uh, that may haunt this historic cavern. Outside in the grove across from the cave, there was beautiful fire on a cool night, uh, decorations, of course, food, beer, wine were available, and there was music. So it was just a relaxed evening. Sock and Source was proud to be a sponsor of this event, and it was uh, very Halloween-y, and, and we enjoyed it. So uh, we hope you did too if you were there, and if not, there's lots more coming up in Hellertown, courtesy of the Chamber. Light Up Night, of course, is back and bigger this year. It was held in 2020 as a drive-through event, but it will be in person again in 2021, and that will be held the day after Thanksgiving in Dimmick Park. We'll have full details about that in the coming weeks, so be sure to Continue to check back at SockinSource.com for our article about that. That's the news roundup for this week. We hope you've had a great week, and we hope you have a great week ahead. Hey, Panther fans, Coach Reef coming at you with a scouting report for this rivalry week matchup between the Saucon Valley Panthers and the Palisades Pirates. The four and five Panthers will travel down 412 to take on the two and seven Pirates. This rivalry week kickoff on Friday night scheduled for 7 p.m. Palisades record so far is two wins and seven losses. Their losses are to Banger 35-0, Wilson 47-0, North Schuylkill 52-12, Northern Lehigh 35-7, Salisbury 13-10 in overtime. Notre Dame Green Pond, 24-14. Jim Thorpe, last week, 33-0. There are two wins against Penargel, 27-0, and Tamaqua, 35-7. As was said, Saucon Valley is 4-5. and 
Saucon Valley's losses were to Notre Dame Green Pond, 47-20, at Pottsville, 35-7, at Wilson, 24-22, Southern Lehigh, 31-17 for homecoming, and last week, Northwestern Lehigh, 42-14. The Panthers do have four wins. They came against Salisbury, 31-14, Blue Mountain, 35-14, 36-22 over Bangor, and 20-14 over Lehighton. So let's talk about Palisades' offense against that Panther defense. The Pirates are multiple with their scheme. They'll spread you out, and they will condense you and pound you. They will play with one wide receiver, and they will play with five wide receivers. For the most part, though, they prefer to run the football. Palisades averages only 12 points per game. The Saucon Valley defense allows 27 points per game. It looks to be primarily a three- or four-man show for the Pirates. First is quarterback number nine senior Jade Newton, who is listed at 6'3", 185. There are not a whole lot of stats out there for Palisades, but Newton is a two-year starter for the Pirates. He led the Pirates to a 5-1 record during last year's season of COVID. Second is senior receiver number 25, Kyle McGrath. He is listed at 6 foot, 175, and on tape shows that he is a good route runner and certainly Newton's go-to guy. Third and fourth are a pair of junior running backs. Number 34, Stephen Lilly at 5'7", 180, and number one, Malachi Stanson at 6'1", 205. Lilly is short but powerful and has no problem running would-be tacklers over. Stanson looks to have a little more finesse and speed, but he too is also tough between the tackles. Up front, the Pirates are stout with three juniors and two seniors. The juniors are number 59, Galen Limentor at right tackle, number 56, James Mish at center, and number 55, Shading Carr at left guard. The seniors are number 50, Nathan Carr at left tackle, and number 58, Liam Rixinger at right guard. As a group, the Pirate offense line averages 240 pounds per man. The cars on the left side are each listed at 270 each. This may be the biggest offensive line the Panthers have faced this season. The injury bug has taken a pretty big toll on the Panthers at this point in the season. Jared Roan for sure and quite possibly Tyler Fizenmare will both be out again. They are both tough guys who play with a lot of heart. Both are Salkin's starting inside linebackers, and their combined 163 tackles this season will be missed. They are the two top leading tacklers for the Panthers. Senior Jack Marushak will also be missing from the Panther defensive line. He was the Panthers' leader on that defensive line before his season-ending injury against Lehighton two weeks ago. The Panther defense will have their work cut out for them trying to get some stops out of that powerful pirate running game. What about the Palisades' defense against Saucon Valley's offense? The Pirates run a 4-3 defense. On the back end, it looks like mostly three deep, but against two-by-two sets, it looks more like cover four. The Pirates will also play some man-to-man coverage. They are a scrappy bunch who won't give up much turf without a fight. Similar to their offense, their defensive line is their strong point. Their linebackers and safeties are pretty good, too. The cornerbacks are a little suspect, being underclassmen and a little on the small size. The Palisades cornerbacks average out at about 5'8", 150. Now those are their roster sizes. Compared to the video I've seen, Palisades, like many other schools, exaggerate those measurements. The Pirate DBs look a little smaller than what is published. Saucon Valley is averaging 22 points per game so far. Seeing that Palisades gives up an average of 27 points per game, it is reasonable to speculate under normal circumstances that the Panthers have a good shot at scoring three or four touchdowns. However, With the forecast, 
And without starting quarterback Dante Mahaffey in a makeshift offensive line, points won't come easy. Offensive efficiency will be super important again this week for the Panthers. Number 12 senior Dante Mahaffey had a great year, and it is with great sadness to see him end his high school career end this way. His 5,000-plus career yards will be missed. Mahaffey also was lost at the Lehighton game with an injury. Even with the high-profile injuries, the Panthers have personnel available to score some points. Stepping in for Mahaffey for the third week in a row is number two junior Travis Riefenstahl. Since Mahaffey is a four-year starter, Riefenstahl really hasn't seen the field too much on the offensive side of the ball. Nonetheless, Riefenstahl is a capable quarterback who fills in admirably. Riefenstahl had a hand in three touchdowns after Mahaffey went down against Lehighton two weeks ago. Last week, against 9-0 Northwestern Lehigh, Riefenstahl hooked up for a touchdown pass with senior wideout Anthony Orleman. I believe it is safe to say that Riefenstahl is a dual-threat guy as he averages 4.4 yards per carry and has scored two rushing touchdowns to go along with his two touchdown passes. Riefenstahl has, however, thrown two interceptions in his three games. The Panthers will also have the talented services of number 11 senior Ty Sensitz. Ty has 44 catches for 642 yards and three TDs. For a career, he has 82 catches for 1,359 yards and 11 TDs. Sensitz is the Panthers' all-time leader in receiving yards. In addition to his stellar stats, Sensitz brings a ton of experience. He'll be counted on to provide leadership and compete for his teammates. Another familiar name with significant experience is certainly number 21 senior Damian Garcia. Garcia has 101 carries this season for 497 yards and 8 touchdowns. For his career, he has 281 carries for 1,917 yards and 19 touchdowns. It'll be great to get Garcia over 2,000 yards rushing for his career. Number three, junior Alex Magnata has made some big plays as a Panther. He is six foot three with good hands. Magnata has 17 catches for 316 yards and three touchdowns this year. With his size, Magnata can be a mismatch problem for defenses, especially against these shorter corners for Palisades. For his career, Magnata has 40 catches for 623 yards and eight touchdowns. The Panthers are also hurting up front. Three-year starter Owen Frederick Jr. has been out on the injured list since the Wilson game. As we said, senior Jack Maruchak was injured in the Lehighton game. Joining Cody Swinney up front will be two freshmen in Joey Griffith and Caleb Grimm. Sophomore Caleb Laudenslager and junior Greg Cohen, all these guys prior to this season do not have any varsity offensive line game experience. Swinney at center is the only one. With Mahaffey out, the experience of Sensitz, Garcia, Magnata, and Swinney should hopefully add enough stability for the Panther offense to be successful. So, this rivalry game between the Pirates and Panthers should be a slugfest on Friday night. With a 4-5 and five record, the Panthers are looking to get back to even and salvage a winning season. But it would make the season for the Pirates if they can win this rivalry game and provide them a bounce into next season. Our good fortune of fabulous Friday football weather looks to be coming to a close, however. As of now, it is looking like rain on Friday with temperatures holding in the mid to low 50s. Not horrible as far as the temperatures are concerned for this time of year, but being wet and damp outside with 50 degree temperatures may call for an extra jacket and an umbrella. We all have no doubt been through much worse. So dig out that rain suit, load the car, and make the trip to Palisades for this rivalry week matchup. Good luck, Panthers. The source is with you. 
Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Day, we are continuing in the vein of Halloween with our interview series, and we are thrilled to welcome a friend and fellow local business owner who, in his spare time, spends quite a bit of time chasing spirits, Justin Torok of Ghost Encounters. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, Justin, we got to know each other through... Homespot Media and Phoenix Fire Media, which are the videography businesses that you own with Chad Clouser. Yeah, so when I'm not hunting ghosts at night during the day, I co-own uh, Homespot Media and Phoenix Fire Media. Homespot Media is a real estate marketing and production company. Phoenix Fire Media is a marketing and production company for local businesses. Right. Fantastic. You guys do fantastic work. Thank you especially highlighting small local businesses and giving them competitive advantage through up-to-date video and photography, which many, many businesses need. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they do, and, but that's what we've seen. And it's been a pleasure like getting to know people and getting to know businesses and especially when we do like restaurants and trying the food that we're, that we're shooting, you know, uh, yeah. everything's so visual right now. So it's what businesses need in order to thrive. Right, right. And before, even before that, you were more or less strictly real estate. Correct. And you did, you've done some amazing real estate work too, with like beautiful estates and. That yeah, type of actually, work. the one house it's called Blue Mountain Estate. It's in uh, New Ringgold, and it just recently sold for over five million dollars. Wow. Uh, we shot that a while ago, but I think as of now, that is the highest sold house in the local MLS. Really? Well, that, yeah, that's like 
almost like a Jersey Shore beachfront yeah, price the, tag. Sorry, the highest priced house that we know of that has Record been sold setting. through yeah. the MLS. Yeah. Wow. It's a little bit. Well, no, I'll take two of those. <laughs> so I was gonna say it's a little bit out of my budget, but I certainly admire all those types of listings. I have fun looking at them, and yeah. especially when the photography and video is very high quality. There's nothing more frustrating than you have a beautiful Correct. house and you don't represent it well. Yeah, and that that house was a little bit tricky to market because you know obviously we're doing the marketing for it and we had to kind of come up with different ideas on how to get the right demographic to see this house you know we were trying to target people in new york and all kinds of places and putting it in you know high-end magazines so you know the marketing of those kinds of houses can get a little bit tricky but Mm -hmm. you know eventually it finally sold and uh turned out great right well of course as we all know since COVID 19 the whole real estate market has kind of gone haywire yeah with inventory lower than it has been ever before in some cases So some of that work has gone away, but that's not exactly left you with more time for ghost hunting because you're filling in with a lot of business-related work now. Yes, yes. My my, my time is very limited between HomeSpot and Phoenix Fire and ghost hunting. My time is very limited, but just recently I had a huge project for Ghost Encounters. Dorney Park actually reached out to me to do an episode of my show at Dorney Park, which I thought was pretty cool. That's amazing, and I want to, like, focus on that but before we get to that I want to learn a little bit more about how you got started like, sure. were you like reading ghost stories late at night when you were a kid or? <laughs> actually yes um, <laughs> for as long as I can remember I've always been oddly attracted and in awe with anything paranormal and uh, macabre I guess mm-hmm. very strange for a kid but uh, I was always fascinated by it I always wanted to learn more ghosts, aliens, anything in that realm. Bigfoot even. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to see. I wanted to capture it, you know. And I guess I really got started in this in college. So I started my passion in photography and videography in high school. Ended up going to college for it. I went to East Stroudsburg University for uh, media communications, which is basically video production and photography. And I decided to put two and two together. And I did my first ever episode of Ghost Encounters and my first ever paranormal investigation my freshman year of college at the Candle Shop at the Poconos. And that episode actually won the film festival that year. And I started growing it and doing more episodes. It was actually airing on campus TV. And that's kind of how I got started into it. Is that like the big white building in Tannersville? The candle shop of the Poconos. That sounds so familiar. It's so there's two candle shops up there. There's the Pocono candle shop and the candle shop of the Poconos. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the candle shop of the Poconos. It's in a really really old building. Yes, I believe it's Tannersville. It's right off of 611. Yeah. Really old building. Dates back to the mid to late 1800s. Built by a doctor who uh, was up there at that time, and he did his work from home. And well, when the lady, uh, woman Linda, bought this house for a candle shop, they started doing renovations and they were in the basement and they took down a wall and they found like holding cages and laboratory stuff. And then they started digging up the dirt floor and they found like test tubes, syringes, medical equipment. She was like, oh my, what went on in this house? <laughs> like I just, she, she loved the house and she just wanted it for a candle shop. And now all of a sudden she's finding like, you know, laboratory stuff. So she did extensive, extensive research. And turns out Dr. Fisher, 
was the doctor living in that house. He actually died in that house as well. The room that he died in, candles are always flying off the shelves and stuff like that. But he kept monkeys in those cages. And not sure the science behind it or how it works, but she has documents that what he was doing was he was creating vaccines for smallpox and yellow fever. I don't know why or how you need monkeys for that or why there's a guillotine in the wall where you need to cut their heads off, but that's the story. Oh, my God. Yep. But she actually has documents that he was sending vaccines to different locations during the war for smallpox and yellow fever. Wow. That's crazy. I've driven by there, and, like, you know, sometimes you think that house looks like it could be haunted. Oh, it 100% is. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that about it, yeah, because it's kind of off by itself, and it just... There's something about it. It's very, very, very old. And I mean, scientists lived there. You yeah. Know, and did experiments and stuff and did stuff to animals in the basement, you know. Linda, she's, this one story she has, she was on a ladder one night and she was like putting candles up on the top shelf. And all of a sudden she heard like the pitter patter of little feet and all the dust started kicking up. And like, so basically like spirit monkeys were running around. She like ran out. She was terrified. That place was actually featured on Animal Planet's The Haunted. Huh. I believe, yeah. But uh, when I did my episode of Ghost Encounters at her candle shop, she loved it so much, she bought like 200 copies and said it was better than the episode Animal Planet produced, and she sold it at her, at her store. Well, and... that's not surprising, because <laughs> locally produced is often better. We know that. <laughs> I mean, so many things happened with the first episode, winning the film festival, selling copies at her store. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I was like, you know what, this is something that I really want to get into is something that I love because I love doing it and I've always been I've been studying it and learning it since I was a kid it kind of fell together and over the years I've just been building up my equipment inventory I have big cases full of paranormal investigation equipment now and it's kind of been building my reputation and my skills throughout the years so what are some of the basic things that you would need to get started investigating for basic For basic, you definitely need some kind of audio recorder. Audio recorders are there to capture EVPs. EVPs stand for electronic voice phenomenon. Essentially, spirits talking within the white noise. Microphones can pick up lower and higher decibels than we can actually hear ourselves, but it'll record it and then spit it back out to the speakers, which then we can hear. Sometimes it'll be a little be kind of faint and you kind of got to increase the volume a bit sometimes it'll be really loud and you can hear it clear as day just by playing it through the audio recorder and those voices weren't there when you were there and it's kind of eerie to hear back on you know that audio so if i'm at a place for four hours i have four hours of audio i gotta listen to the next day and listen for uh, evps and it's kind of eerie to hear voices that just were not there clear as day you know You also need some kind of K2 meter or EMF detector. They both do the same thing. They measure electromagnetic fields. Spirits are said to be pure forms of energy, and EMF detectors and K2 meters will be able to detect that energy when they come near it. Those are like the two main basic things. Obviously, what I need, I use those things, but I also have, you know, infrared night vision cameras. I've also captured some things using just a basic DSLR with a flash, getting pictures of places. I have a thermal camera, I have a millimeter which measures EMF and temperature at the same time. I have an RT EVP device which stands for real-time EVP, it's a recorder that has a 10 second delay. That way I can kind of listen for EVPs in real time almost. I also have a number of X cameras to set up in locations to let them run, run all night. I usually put next to that a laser pointer with a grid projection so you can easily see if anything crosses its path. My cats would love that. <laughs> 
going through my list. There's quite a bit of, of equipment, though. I mean, y- you must have yeah. a team, right? Like, that comes with you, or you have, like, because that's a lot of things to be juggling. <laughs> it, it is a lot of things to juggle. I don't have a set team. I have a very long list of people who want to go on investigations with me, and I'm trying to get through that list. So basically what I do is I always have some kind of other camera operator with me, someone who knows how to work a camera, has a degree in videography, and usually I bring one or two other people along with me, whether it's friends or someone who has some kind of connection with that place, or even maybe someone that works at the place that I'm at. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to do it. That way they get to have that experience and you get assistance right i think it helps out too because a lot of the shows that you see now like it's it's the same people they're alone and it's just them and they say the same things but it's it's nice to get different people along so you can get their reactions and their input on what's going on so it seems more authentic you know you don't have the same three people in a place doing the same thing you have different people every time that are getting reactions so those skeptics out there you see different people every time then having, you know, or reacting to evidence of the paranormal. Right. No, that makes sense. So you essentially started then in the Poconos, which has a lot of awesome places to investigate. Mm -hmm. We were talking before the interview a little bit about Jim Thorpe, and you said that's one place. Yeah, I would would love to get into the the Jim Thorpe jail. Uh, I reached out a couple years ago. I don't think I was in touch with the right person. They pretty much just said, no, if I want to go, I can just go during the day, during regular hours, and buy a ticket. It's <laughs> not what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> I need to call and say, give me the cool person who works there who believes in paranormal. I mean, it's free advertising for them. Right. You know? So what, one thing I want to point out is I don't take any money for this, ever. Never have, never will. Two people I kind of aspire to is Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure people nowadays have heard of them. I've been reading their stuff since I was a kid, but because the Conjuring movies now people know about them, but they never took a cent for everything, they, anything they did either. And I'm, I kind of aspire to that, you know. I, I look at it more of this is something that I love to do, and if I can help bring awareness to a local place, that's great. Right, and in their case, I think the fact that they never took money helped make their cases more believable mm-hmm. because there was no incentive financially for them right. to be playing things up. So, yeah, they're... I mean, even I've heard of them. So I think they were involved in a lot of the biggest investigations in, like, the 60s, 70s? Yeah, mostly the 70s. Yeah, a lot of the biggest things that you've heard of, they were there. Like Amityville Horror. Amityville Horror. They were involved in that, you know? Yeah. So, well, you're based in Lehigh Valley now, and the Lehigh Valley, as we've been learning in, like, some of our recent interviews, has no shortage of haunted or allegedly haunted locations. Some of them are very well known. Some of them might just be an old house, which there's tens of thousands of around the area. One of the local destinations that we've talked about recently is Hexenkopf Hill um, in Williams Township, which has a long, long history. It's, I guess, a little bit different in the sense that it's a natural formation, really. But tell us a little bit about your experiences there and, and what you've been able to uncover. Yeah, just to go back a little bit, but like you were saying, Leah Valley has a lot of history. There's a lot of buildings that date back to 1700s, maybe even older than that. A lot of people, a lot of well-known people have been through the Lehigh Valley. I mean, today and even hundreds of years ago, this area was kind of like a central hub between New York and Philadelphia. If you were going from New York to Philly or Philly to New York, you were passing through here. 
mm-hmm. you know, for like we also have we have the Sun Inn, which we know for a fact that George Washington, his wife Thomas Jefferson, like a number of people have have stayed there. You know, I actually investigated there. We'll get to that in a minute. But to go to Hexenkopf Rock, that has a lot of history too. Yes, Hexenkopf Rock is a natural rock outcropping that looks like the shape of a witch's head, and that's why they call it Hexenkopf Rock because Hexenkopf in German literally means witch's head. Williams Township was primarily a German settlement back when they were first coming here, and that's why it has a German name. But the Germans brought over their folklore and superstitions and all kinds of stuff when they came here. So there was a family called the Wilhelms, I believe their name was, and they were quote-unquote witch doctors. We would call them witch doctors today, but they were more of natural healers, Mm -hmm. if you will. They had the ability to know which herbs to grind up and put into a paste to heal an abscess. Another thing they they did, which was a very famous thing for them, was they would have Bible scriptures written on a piece of paper. It would be sewn into a cloth. The cloth would then have some kind of string around it. If you had a sore throat, you'd put it around your sore throat. you say some kind of chant, make your sore throat go away. Maybe if you had a stomachache, you'd tie it around your gut and say some, some kind of chant and make that pain go away. One of the biggest things that these doctors did, though, was called transference. When you were sick or something was wrong, they considered it evil. So they had to take that evil out of you and transfer it to something else. You can't just get rid of evil, you have to transfer it to something else. And they always use Hexenkopf Rock as that thing to transfer all this evil to. So immediately Hexenkopf Rock already had a bad reputation and already had this supernatural sense about it by locals. People did not want to go near it. That's where all the evil was going. And that's kind of how witches got brought into this. Healing doctors like that over time were then considered witches because stuff that they were doing was really natural, but it was it kind of seemed unnatural to other people. And so as history progresses, it's there's rumors that witches would go there and witches would have seances there. But even today, local witches and covens even go and gather there. Mm-hmm. If you go there today, sometimes you can find some stuff that may have been used in a ritual. I know someone who was there. He has a YouTube channel where he goes in and explores abandoned places and stuff. And he went there and he found a pentagram and some kind of ceremonial knife hidden in a little little wedge in, in, in one of the rock outcroppings. So I wouldn't t- want to touch that. <laughs> but like, so even today, you know, there's still a sense that witches go there and do things there. It's a very creepy and eerie place to be at night. When we were there, we heard a lot of strange sounds. Things that I couldn't explain that definitely weren't animals or things that I, I don't think were really of this world. Like heard, branches cracking? Like somebody's walking in the no, woods? No, like or... we heard growls and screams and like weird things like that. I think the strangest thing that happened there was we like we were going through this investigation. We, all of a sudden, like, all these things started happening. We kept hearing all these noises and things moving. And we saw this bright, glowing light in the distance. And be in mind, the nearest house to Hexenkopf is quite a distance away through the woods. So we're not going to see someone's car lights or something. It just looked like something was glowing and started almost manifesting like 100 yards in front of us. So we were just like, that's it. We're done. Let's get out of here. <laughs> there is a point where if you're, anyone's going to do this, like if you start encountering things that are evil or things start to get a little crazy, just step back from it for a while because you don't know what's going to happen. Right, right. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you have to use your best judgment and, you know, if the spirits are getting 
angry, I guess. You don't want to push them too far. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I know in some of the paranormal shows that are out there, they try to use the angry, provoking method for spirits. I, I don't do that. I just try to... They were people once. Talk to them like they're people. Nice spirit. Nice. You know? Even if... I mean, I mean, I've been in places where there have been... I wouldn't say fully evil, but definitely negative and bad entities and spirits, but still don't try to do the angry, provoking method. Well, and, and one of the things we learned recently from our interview with Alan Flynn was about the different types of hauntings. Like, there's residual, residual and intelligent. And intelligent. So, are more of your investigations into, like, intelligent hauntings or, or just a mix? There's been a mix, but I think the majority have been intelligent because I've gotten responses that were directly to what I was saying. Mm -hmm. um, but there's definitely has been a mix where things were residual because I'd get voices and sounds that had nothing to do with what I was doing or saying. So mm -hmm. I, I've seen both. And residual is sort of when like energy is captured and stored. It's almost, it's almost trapped. It's almost like a broken record of the past. Mm -hmm. Like, we've heard ghost stories from all over the world and where people see the same guy walk across the same road at the same time. You know, it's kind of like a broken record of the past where just that energy just stays there. Huh. That's fascinating what you said about, about Hex and Kopf. And for our listeners who may have missed our interview with Dr. Ned Heindel about Hex and Kopf two weeks ago, I would definitely encourage them to go back and listen to that because he has written a book about... Yes, Ned is, Ned is a great guy. I'm kind of shocked he didn't mention me at all because I, <laughs> I spent quite some time with him doing this episode. I, I interviewed him for the episode. I talked to him. I read his book. But he, he really is a, he's, he's a great guy to get to know. Yeah. Well, he, he had a lot of ground to cover, I think, in, in our interview. We could have gone a lot longer, and I'm sure he would have brought up your name in that case. But... We also talked about like things like the Penny's pipeline. He's and, very big on that, right? Well, very, he very big he on that. said it's the the witches put a curse on it, and that's why <laughs> they're not building it. Well, so. yeah, I mean there were stories when they were trying to put telegraph wires through and stuff that people were getting injured and dying trying to put stuff around the rock. Right. Well, yeah. If I was a yeah. witch, I wouldn't want a pipeline yeah. built. But he, he's my a house. cool. He's a cool guy. He's very very intelligent. He literally wrote the book on Hexenkopf and owns the land that Hexenkopf is. Oh. Right, right. Well, he did, yeah. He did, he did, he did donate donated the, a, the land. A large but, yeah, portion of it, correct. which is fantastic because it's going to allow more people to experience the natural beauty, for yeah. one thing. But I mean, stories of Hexenkopf go back quite a bit. There's a story that's actually written down on paper that a man was trying to divorce his wife because he said she was a witch and she was doing uh, seances and stuff at Hexenkopf Rock. And that's why he was trying to divorce her. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, in relatively modern times? Or? No, I think it was in somewhere near World War II. Oh, okay. Wow, that's not that long ago, though. Yikes. It definitely has a reputation for quite some time. <laughs> I can imagine the lawyer, like, reading that one, like, your wife? Yeah. <laughs> Cheating on you with the devil. No. Yeah, no, the, the Hexenkopf is, is very high on the list, of course. What would you say is the most haunted place that you investigated? I would put Hexenkopf at number two, but I would put the Weaversville Inn as number one so far. And the Weaversville Inn is a historic inn 
sort of in between Bethlehem and Northampton. Yeah, I think it's technically in Northampton. Mm-hmm. It's just outside of Bethlehem. But for those of you who don't know it as Weaversville Inn, you might know it as Jessica's Tea Room. Right. It was a restaurant called Jessica's Tea Room. There were rooms upstairs that people rented. There's a building right next to it on the same property that people uh, rent as well. But it was Jessica's Tea Room for a while. I was there in 2013 doing an investigation there. And if anyone listens to my podcast, my Ghost Encounters podcast, the most recent episode is actually fully 100% about Weaversville Inn. And I have snippets of little clips from the, from the episode and EVPs that we captured. But the Weaversville Inn was built somewhere in the 1800s. There was a fire at some point. It's unknown if anyone died in the fire or not. Records weren't really kept too well back then. But it was used as a bed and breakfast. It was used as a tavern, hotel, and it was also used as a brothel. Hmm. So the legend has it that the rooms upstairs, when it was a brothel, was used for higher class, higher paying men, for, I guess, higher class prostitutes. And the basement was also used, but the basement was for cheaper men and lower-class prostitutes. (laughs) And there's a lot of stories that a lot of horrible things happened to women down there. It's just a big, old, dirty, open basement, and they would use that to do their services. I did not know any of that. Yeah, the uh, owner at the time was telling us all these stories. Even the cemetery that's right... It's only like a mile down the road from Weaversville. It's a really old cemetery where the original owners are actually buried over there. But speaking of when it was... Just to clarify more that it was a brothel at one point, the basement is extremely haunted. It really is. Extremely. And when we were down there, we actually captured EVPs of... We heard screams, and we also heard moans. Moaning sounds. And they were not bad moaning sounds they were more pleasurable moaning sounds <laughs> oh <laughs> which I i've you. never i've never captured in my 10 plus years of doing this except there you're like um, oh oh <laughs> <laughs> but also while we were down in the basement my friend jordan was with me and her hair was sticking up not like small hair sticking up like stack electricity like a chunk of hair was sticking up like someone was grabbing it or something should have felt like Something was not necessarily pulling it, but if she pulled away, it's like something was kind of still attached to it, you know? Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, so the way it's set up, there's a door that goes down into the basement, and there's like a laundry area, and there's another door that opens up to the rest of the basement. And on that second door, we heard this huge bang on that door, so loud that we all just, we all jumped. And then we started asking, who's down here? Is anyone down here? And the people I was with were a little too scared at the time, so they wanted to leave. And as we're leaving, my uh, recorder captured two female voices, clear as day. One says, we're all in here. And the other one says, I know, and he doesn't even know who. And then it kind of starts trailing out. Clear as day. And we were, we're all we're, in we here. Were, was that a female voice? Two, yeah, two separate female okay. voices. Wow. Well, the Weaversville is another building that, to me kind of just looks and feels haunted yeah it's sort of like in a grove of trees and i mean i've been there many times to eat brunch and and (laughs) things like that but when you walk in there's like this long staircase Mm -hmm. in front of you and it's just sort of like a a heavy feeling that i got like being in there it's even worse in the basement oh i can imagine The, the air just feels thick like it's hard to breathe 
it weighs you down it yeah. drains you of your own energy and then as soon as you step away from it, it it's so much better wow yeah there's definitely a lot of negative energy down in that basement I mean there's stories of employees being tacked after female employees being tacked down in the basement there's this one story that a medium came into Weaversville in once and they said don't let your women down there but especially this one person don't let her down there they really like her and apparently like she didn't even like to go down there because she felt like people like they, they wanted her down there you know and I guess there was one busy night where she had to go down to the basement and get something she came back up Right when she came back up, she was pushed into one of the refrigerators and fell onto the floor. And then she freaked out, ran out. She claimed that her back hurt and there was like scratch marks along her back. And never even came back for her paycheck, probably. It's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. It is oh horrible. Oh my gosh. It's definitely interesting though, because it's. And I had, I had two females with me on the investigation, my best friends, Jordan and Taylor Balterson. And they said they felt the same thing. Like they, it's like they wanted them there. You know, they, they 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 were trying to draw them to the basement, and it, it was just it's very strange to hear different females say the exact same thing over years. Yeah, maybe that's why there's a shortage of restaurant staff. <laughs> like, it's not helping things, probably. Probably not. <laughs> I don't know what's going off it now. So when I was there, that was 2013. Those owners then actually sold it shortly after I was there, 2013. Then the owners that owned it then try to sell it in 2017 my company homespot media was actually i was actually went back in 2017 to shoot pictures and videos of weaversville i guess they didn't sell it and i guess they still own it but i don't know what they're trying to do with it right right well hopefully something will happen because Man, it's, it's a cool it's building a, it's on a gorgeous property yeah like have you ever been out back it's it's gorgeous out there oh yeah yeah you feel like you're I don't know. I don't you, feel like I'm in. Yeah, you don't Philly feel like you're in. Yeah, you don't. You kind of feel excluded and away from things, even though, you know, everything's right around you. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating, and definitely the basements and the restaurants <laughs> seem to be like a, a focal point in in a lot of places because, yeah. recently, we had, as I mentioned, Ellen Flynn on, and she talked about some of the most haunted restaurants in the area. One being Braveheart. I think the day after that, I had lunch at. Braveheart and all the employees wanted to talk to me about the ghosts <laughs> and you know this happened to me and that happened to me and in the basement was a lot oh, yeah. of the activity so uh, another really historic restaurant uh, would be the Sun Inn mm-hmm. which I was recently at now uh, what part of the building was sort of or was it all throughout the whole building yeah the whole building there's a basement that apparently went one time had a makeshift jail then there's the main living quarters which is on the main floor not a whole lot on the second floor the attic definitely i know ghost hunters were there at one point and they caught something on the thermal cam of what looked like a figure in the attic and i also caught a figure in the attic on my thermal camera Hmm. yeah the sun inn has a lot of history i mean that was one of the first inns in the area yeah it was built because people were flooding into this area and they there was no inn so that was the only one around a lot of historic people have actually stayed there it's just it's really cool historic place to see because they kept everything the way it should be and you know the one room in the back which kind of has like two bedrooms and and then there's like a living room-ish kind of area at the fireplace and that was considered luxury even though it's all probably no bigger than this right here that we're sitting in yeah you know that was considered the most luxury place that anyone's ever stayed at (laughs) 
at the time, obviously. Yeah, as are today. But yeah, that was built in the 1700s. Like I said, at one point, there was a makeshift jail in the basement. There is a story that they did help injured soldiers, and one of the nurses actually helped someone on the other side. Her husband ratted her out. For some reason, I think he was locked in the jail, and she was hanged. And they had a little daughter. I believe she died of some kind of illness. But it's said that the nurse and the little girl haunt the attic. Huh. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. Well, it's an amazing building. It's it's like a fortress, really. I mean, it was it's built really cool. to withstand an Indian attack and mm-hmm. all kinds of other perils that existed at that time. And it is part museum today. So when you go in, yes. you can see the, the rooms as they would have appeared then. Of course, you can also eat there. And they have, like, rooms for private parties and... I think there's even like a micro distillery there now. Yes, all as 100% correct. So yeah, part of it's still a museum. They still have a lot of old stuff out and you can go and kind of see. The restaurant itself is called the Tavern at the Sun Inn. They do have a big space for parties. We're going to have a party there and they do have their own distillery. Christmas City Spirits. Christmas City Spirits, that is correct. It's really good too, by the way. Yeah. Um, And that's what the the tavern, if you go to eat there, that's what they use to make their mixed drinks. And they kind of make old style drinks from back in the day and all of it's all handcrafted yeah no, it's a cool place and then they have the courtyard out back where mm-hmm. you can dine outside when the weather's nice and all that good stuff what about hotel bethlehem have you heard anything about that yes or? i knew some people that worked there and they've told me some things certain rooms that are haunted and a certain uh, i believe the kitchen is haunted and certain other areas in hotel bethlehem that's haunted hotel bethlehem is also very old and that's what kind of shut down the Sun Inn when that was built. Because it was more modern and it yes. was more yeah. upscale, I guess. Um, I was in talks with someone before the pandemic and then the pandemic hit, so I'm going to revisit that sometime soon. Right. See if I can get in there. Yeah, I bet you'd find yeah. some interesting But if there's there. any local restaurant owners listening right now, if you have stuff going on at your restaurant, you have employees saying things, I'd love to come in and do an episode of my show at your place, free advertising for you. The way it works is I come in with whatever team I have at the time, and we're there from about midnight to 3 a.m., and then uh, gather all my evidence and create an episode of my show out of it. Very cool. Yeah. And Obviously, I would interview, you know, the owners and employees about, you know, about the restaurant itself, and then also about the history and paranormal encounters that happened there. And one of the things we talked about with our, our other recent guests, too, is that, you know, I think at one time maybe there was some stigma or something about being haunted. But today, I mean, it's it's a good thing, really. <laughs> I think it drives people to your place. I, when yeah. I, after I did the Sun In episode, my friend Brianna works there, and she said she had a bunch of people coming in and saying, oh, I saw that this place is haunted, and I saw it was on Ghost Encounters, and I saw them on the news, and this and that. So... You know, kind of brings people to your place. Right, right. Yeah, and I think most people realize that, most certainly owners. But if they're, if they scare easily themselves, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they don't want to know what you might, un- right. might uncover. Right. Well, I definitely want to talk about and touch on Dorney Park because that's like a legendary place in Lehigh Valley and beyond. It is. It's been an amusement park for well over a century. They are celebrating their 138th season. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah. And it began as 
a modest park where people would go for day trip. Yeah, people. It would just it was just a regular park. There's also some kind of fishing that went on there, trout fishing. I mean, we know Dorney Park as this humongous piece of land with all this stuff. I mean, before that, it wasn't always that. Highways all around. Right. There used to be a road that went right through Dorney Park that connected Allentown to Kutztown. That road is no longer there. But before it was even Dorney Park, like I said, it was that park slash fishing place where people would just go hang out. But the area wasn't as big as it is today, you know, because there actually used to be houses, number of houses on the property. There was even a hotel. There were stores. And so generations of families have lived in these houses and passed away and kind of have been on this land. Right. And then eventually, I believe it was the first mechanical ride came in in the late 1800s. And they kind of started building on that. At first it was called Dorney's Park, and then eventually it was called Dorney Park. The trolley actually came right to Dorney Park to bring people to Dorney Park. And like I said, that road was still there that connected Allentown to uh, Kutztown. It went right through the park. It went through the park for a while, actually, because for a long time it was ride tickets, almost like Knobles, until eventually they shut that road down, they bought more land, and they kind of closed it off. Right. Thinking about an amusement park, to me, it seems like you have all the recipes f- there for, like... Disaster? <laughs> right. Mechanical failures, fires. There have been a number of fires at Dorney Park. I know the biggest one had to do with the zoo that they used to have, and they no longer have that anymore for obvious reasons. That's sad if the animals were... I hope not. I hope the animals were okay. All I know that there was a fire that happened with the zoo. But I believe there was even a house on the property up until the early 90s. It was, like, right underneath Thunderhawk. Obviously, it wasn't used as a house at the time. Like, no one was like, oh, just living in a house underneath Thunderhawk. But it was, the structure was still there. Very, very, very historic. And a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't know that. Yeah. Right. Well, and some of the rides themselves are now close to 100 years old. Thunderhawk just won an award for yeah, being a historic roller coaster. That's their oldest roller coaster. That is their oldest roller coaster. Correct. It's not said in my show, but for those who are listening, there was a tragedy on Thunderhawk in the 1920s where two girls died. I know a friend of mine, Eric, he said his great-grandmother was actually on that ride when it happened. Yeah. Wow. Pretty crazy. Well, you hear about accidents on these rides today, so 100 years ago... Yeah, and they didn't have safety regulations like we do now. Right, you know? right. You were taking a bigger risk, probably. Right. And nothing was computerized. You were at the hands of engineers hoping that everything went smoothly. Yeah. Every single time the roller coaster went off. Yeah. You know, it's not like today where you can just press a button and stop the ride. Well, you're really getting my wheels turning. I think I'm going to have to do my own investigation. (laughs) Newspapers.com, Dorney Park. It was definitely in the newspapers about Thunderhawk. It was definitely in there. It was also said that someone was hit by a car on that road that used to cross right through Dorney Park. Hmm. Well, that would make sense because yeah. that's where you would have had a lot of people walking. I mean, you had a lot of people going back and forth to rides and crossing that road. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Wildwater Kingdom was built as part of the park, but that wasn't until, like, the 80s, I think. Or yeah, that wasn't that wasn't until, like, the 80s. But correct. they've had a few tragedies there over the years, and unfortunately they did they did i did not venture into the water park for obvious reasons stuff was too recent for us to do anything there i I like to be respectful 
yeah. when I do these things. You know, for example, like I also I also do house calls, and number of people have said they have heard and seen things in their houses, and I got to go take a look, or someone thinks their grandfather's there, and I don't make that into an episode of my show. I just kind of do it as courteous. Right. You want to like provide them with information Correct. to give them some type of closure. Correct. Or, yeah. What about places like cemeteries? Is that sort of off limits too? Because it's um, of, not necessarily. It's just or they just aren't normally haunted. Cemeteries are filled with lifeless bodies. That's mm-hmm. not where people died. Right. That's not where tragedies happened. Cemeteries are just eerie because they're cemeteries. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some cemeteries throughout the country that say they're severely haunted. I was just up in Provincetown over the summer, and they have a really old cemetery there. It's actually kind of really creepy that cemetery because hmm. that's it's like the only cemetery in Provincetown that's the cemetery that they've used for hundreds of years they have these locked like structures and you can kind of look in and actually see wooden caskets inside oh because they're above ground yeah because it's by the beach yes. probably. yeah so like really really old ones like you can actually look through these little windows and you see just wooden caskets like old just square wooden caskets inside. I'm sure the Provincetown Chamber of Commerce really wants to <laughs> play that out. <laughs> That's crazy. That reminds me of like someplace like New Orleans or down right. south maybe, like where they have more of those types of cemeteries. Yeah. And it's not just one, it's usually like a whole family is like in there. Creepy. <laughs> so do you have any anything else like planned coming up? Like for like this Halloween season or beyond? Well, Dory Park was the big thing. That was three, four days of shooting video, doing uh, interviews, shooting B-roll. I did get permission to do some drone flying, uh, which was really cool. Getting all that stuff done and then the investigation, I was there until 4.30 in the morning because we had so much ground to cover Hmm. and we could have spent four more hours there if we wanted to. And that took a couple weeks to gather everything and put together. That episode is out now. You can go check it out on my YouTube channel, or you can go right to ghost-encounters.com. You can listen to my podcast. You can connect with my Facebook page, Instagram, and my YouTube channel to uh, watch the Dorney Park episode. But that was kind of like my big thing for this Halloween season. I don't have anything planned for what's next. I do have people email me once in a while for suggestions of places to go to, or sometimes people email me saying that their house is haunted and they've been hearing things and they want me to come out but for a big investigation this season it was Dorney Park I don't know what's next but I always have something coming up but we captured a lot of stuff at Dorney Park the first stop for the investigation was in this old barn that dates back to the 1700s and we captured some cool stuff in there the camera person with me was Sophie she's a friend of mine and also is one of my employees at HomeSpot Media she decided to take out a regular camera and she said, all right, I'm going to take your picture now. And then there's, she takes one picture and then immediately there's an EVP and it says, take one. And then all of a sudden her camera malfunctions after the EVP says that, almost like it was messing with her. Wow. Then after that, we went to another building that's really, really old. I guess apparently at one point in time that building was called the casino and there was a bowling alley in there very old building they now call it the crypt it's where they store all their haunt and halloween stuff and for years people have been saying that things move on their own and doors close and they set stuff down and it goes missing and they hear voices so they were really eager for me to get in there and we were in one of the back rooms 
and we were leg legitimately almost having a conversation through the K2 meter with one of the spirits. It was on a table in the middle of the room, no electronical devices nearby, everything shut off in the building, and we told it to, so there's lights on the K2 meter, but it shows you different ranges of energy that's coming through. We told it to make the lights go on for yes and do nothing for no, and we were legit having almost like a full-on conversation. And in one of the moments I said, are you lonely? And then all of a sudden, the lights go on, and it's the second the lights go on, there's an EVP, EVP that says, mad. <laughs> very, very cool. Then we went to Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove is the road that's lined with walnut trees that's right by Thunderhawk. People have always said they feel like someone's watching them, and they hear voices when we're there. And very early into it, Tana, who was the PR manager, she was with us on the investigation, she heard something. She said, are you rustling leaves? And there's an EVP that says, I'm walking. Wow. Oh, and that's, now I just thought of one of the pieces of equipment that I was missing when I was rattling off the equipment. The SB7 Spirit Box. The SB7 okay. Spirit Box channels through three radio frequencies per second backwards, so it causes a constant stream of white noise. So we, we were using that at Walnut Grove, and we got the words Dorney Park to come out twice. Hmm. Yeah. And surprisingly, the carousel has a lot of history. You've seen how huge that carousel is. It was actually a traveling carousel at one point. Huh. I think it's huge. And there's a very famous horse on there that was carved by this very famous artist, last name Muller. And it's the only one of the horses looks like it, and it's like a military-style horse with military decorations on it. Apparently, the story is it's not the original one. They don't know what happened to the original, or it might be the original and Muller's wife loved this horse and said that she haunts the carousel, but we didn't get anything at the carousel at huh. all. Yeah, very strange. Did Dorney Park ever have, like, I don't ever remember them having a haunted house there or anything like that, like, as, an, as a ride. No, not until they started doing their haunt stuff. Yeah. Maybe that's because they knew they didn't need a haunted house. They had enough <laughs> spirits as it was. Right. The ride that was, that scared me, well, and I'm dating myself when I was little, was the journey to the center of the earth. Yeah, so in my video, Mike, the general manager, he talks about that ride. I talked about a number of rides that's not there anymore. There was Bucket of Blood. There was the old Titanic ride. Yes. used to be there. That was actually patented by the guy who made it so that no one else, so that Jersey Shore couldn't steal it. <laughs> wow. But yeah, then after the carousel, we went to the area where the old hotel used to be. There was a structure there. It's now where the subway is. Mm -hmm. in Dorney Park. Okay. So there was a hotel there for a very long time and it was used, probably, probably the most recent use for it was just kind of storage. It was torn down quite a few years ago but there used to be a uh, woman that haunted that hotel and she was in one of the back rooms and every time she was around you get this like sweet kind of smell mm -hmm. and she would always mess with men that went in there. She would touch them or poke them or something like that. So we caught a couple things over there the biggest thing that we caught, so I had an X camera running the whole time in the old communication building. And for years, people who have been in the communication building at night say they always hear things moving. They always feel like someone's watching them and all kinds of weird stuff. And so the X camera was running the whole night. And it was pointing in a room and it was there was a table in the middle of the room. On the table was a couple things. There's stapler, tape dispenser, and some files and stuff. And I actually caught the tape dispenser moving by itself. That's creepy. Yeah. One other place I wanted to ask you about quickly, and it is it is a tourist attraction at Halloween, the Hotel of Horror. 
In Sailorsburg? Yes. So that actually has a pretty cool story to it. Do you know the story? No. So it's actually, it actually was called the Lake House Inn. Okay. And it was used as a makeshift hospital during one of the wars, but it was a very big inn back in its time. It was mainly used for like New York business people. But uh, when the stock market crashed, apparently it was flooded with New York business people and I think like 19 people hanged themselves. I mean, that has to be one of the scariest looking buildings of all time. Oh, completely. <laughs> and uh, it's an, I reached out to them and they just weren't interested. Right. They, they because... said they'd do enough with their haunted house that they didn't want to do anything else. Yeah. Unfortunately. And it would probably be a little bit tough because the layout is nothing like the hotel anymore. Mm-hmm. There's hundreds of new walls up to because it's strictly a haunted house. To make it like a labyrinth. You know? So now it's like you wouldn't even be able to tell where you were or what was where you were when you're you're standing in there, you know? A few years ago, well, probably more like 10 years ago, I went in there with my friend and we couldn't even finish the tour because we had to like... She was too... Too freaked out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was, I wasn't. But exactly the end's the best part calm. when you when you when you when you finally get out there. There's a guy with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. No, like, well, she, you know, she felt like they were going after her for some reason. Like, I guess getting paranoid. It happens. I mean, damn, when you're in a stress syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> when you're on a house and it's just like you and a girl, you look after the girl, you know. Oh yeah, no, they were they were definitely letting me off a little easier but yeah i mean it was and they pack them in for for halloween it's yeah you know a major a major attraction in that area well there's so many so many other places that that i'm sure you know you have been to or that you know you have knowledge of and i'm definitely going to listen to your your podcast and yeah my podcast goes over a number of things we don't just strictly stay in lehigh valley we kind of talk about things yeah, I saw your the latest episode is about the Salem Witch Trials. Yep, yep. We even did uh, two episodes, or... Yeah, we we did an episode on the Manson family murders. We did a two-episode special on the Cecil Hotel in California. So we kind of talk about a number of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool that, you know, you're using that to sort of branch out a little yeah. bit and, and explore other areas because uh, there's a whole whole world of hauntings out there. There are. <laughs> And you have, I have to say something, you're, you have a really cool Halloween tattoo. Oh. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my whole left arm is all Halloween stuff. It's got like a Ouija board. Got a Ouija piece, Grim Reaper, full moon with bats. I got a death tarot card, skulls, creepy pumpkin, and a creepy ghost. That's awesome. What about Chad? He doesn't go in on these with you at all? Uh, Chad is 100% a skeptic. And he does not. Why does that not? He does not approve me? of any of this. <laughs> he is very supportive, but anytime he shares anything, anything of mine, he does make a disclaimer that he does not believe at all. <laughs> what a fun guy! <laughs> he must be a blast at Halloween parties. <laughs> no, I, I, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> well, definitely. I hope our listeners will check out your website. As you said, it's ghost slash. Or hyphen encounters.com. Correct. And uh, you can see the Dorney Park video there, or it's also on your YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And you also have Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. where you post updates. 
And my podcast you can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Right, right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Justin. Yeah, this thanks for having really me on. We've been recording No Rain Dates since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.